Well, uh, today we come to chapter 17 of John's Gospel, and um, I'm going to call it the real Lord's Prayer. It's, it's, it takes us into the heart of communication within the Trinity. Jesus, the Son, a few minutes before he is arrested and then will be crucified in the morning, he prays to God the Father. And I, I have to warn you, this, is gonna, this goes very deep. We could spend weeks here, but we're not. We're gonna, I'm going to cover it today in one, one week, okay? But I got to warn you, it's deep and you got to think, okay? So are you, are you awake? All right, so this is going to go, go rather deep. I call it the real Lord's Prayer because usually we, we call the Our Father the Lord's Prayer. Um, but that was the prayer that he taught us to pray. I don't know that Jesus prayed, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. He never sinned, so he didn't have to pray for forgiveness. We do. But this is 26 verses of of the heart of Jesus with the Father, okay? In fact, let me give you the four, the four themes that I want to pull out of this uh, as we go through it. And, and, and again, John's style of writing, or maybe we should say Jesus' style of praying, is not real linear. Sometimes it's circular, and he revisits themes that he has already covered. So here's what, what I want us to look for. First of all, um, he prays for his own glory. And you say, why? Well, well, we'll see. Okay, but he's praying that he would be glorified. Secondly, he, he prays for our security. We are left in this world, but he prays for our security. He prays for our purity in this world, and then he prays for our unity. Okay, so let's take a look at this prayer. When Jesus had spoken these words, what words? Chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. Now, after he spoke those words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life, to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth uh, that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours 
are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world. Just as I'm not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Did you get all that? There's a, an awful lot there. So, so again, the four things, the four themes he prays for, his own glory our security, our purity, and our unity. So let's take a look. First of all, uh, he prays for glory, his own glory. All right. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Throughout John's gospel, he says, my hour has not yet come, my hour has not yet come, my hour has not yet come, and now it has come. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. To glorify someone is to exalt them, to lift them up as ultimate. And Jesus is praying Father, glorify me. Now, um, is that a little disturbing? That Jesus is praying for his own glory? Let me show you three reasons why even praying for his own glory 
is ultimately a selfless act. Okay? Re reason number one is this. The way Jesus will be glorified is first, not finally, but firstly, going through the horrendous humiliation and agony of the cross. Nobody looking at the cross would go, oh, what a glorious thing. But after it happens and after he's resurrected and after we see that he was doing this for us, now we see the glory of the cross. So, so is this an egomaniacal prayer, glorify me? Not when you understand that step one is to be crucified. Right? Second reason this is not an egomaniacal prayer is that his prayer for his own glory is ultimately for his father's glory. Right? Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Right? Now, how does Jesus being glorified glorify God the Father? Well, first, his, his radical obedience brings glory to God by pointing out how wonderful God must be for Jesus to obey him to the point of death. You know, do you remember in the Old Testament, King David, he's at war, and he's near... Bethlehem, his hometown, and he just kind of throws this thought out. He says, oh man, I would love to drink some water from the well in Bethlehem. That's where he grew up. I don't know if it was better water than other water, okay, but he's just kind of saying, I'd love some of that water. And his three mighty men break through the lines. They risk their lives to get some water for David, and they give it to him. And he pours it out. He says, I'm not going to drink that. That's the blood of these men. But their willingness to risk their lives points to the greatness of David. Jesus doesn't just risk his life, but he gives his life as an act of obedience to the Father, pointing to the gloriousness of the Father. Okay? Now, that's, that's one way Jesus Glory glorifies the Father, obedience. But here's a second way. Even the request to be returned to his former place of glory brings the Father pleasure. So here in verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So, you know, remember, Jesus is now in a state of humbleness in a human body. But he came from glory. Return me to that state is what he's saying. Now, how does that bring pleasure to the Father? Well, let me, let me kind of switch analogies here. 
And think about a bride who says to her hairdresser and dressmaker, make me beautiful for my husband. Okay, in fact, that is a scriptural thought in Revelation. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You know, I've, I've stood at, in, in this location at a lot of weddings, right? And uh, the, the groom has not yet seen the bride. And here comes the little flower girls and the processional. And then everybody rides. And she comes walking down the aisle. And while everybody's watching her, I always like to turn and look at him. <laughs> and there's just this big smile on his face. He's thinking, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. She adorned herself for him. And, and that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, restore to me the glory that I had with you, and I get to relish your glory, and you get to relish my glory. But even that request is a, 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 a humble request because it's for the glory of his Father. Okay? But then there's a, there's a third. You remember the original question. Is this an egomaniacal request? You know, glorify me. The, th the third reason it's not an egomaniacal request is because his prayer for his own glory is ultimately for our joy. Okay? Realize that our joy is the end result of all this agony that he's going to go through. In fact, in the prayer, he says, But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves our fullness of joy is his agenda okay our maximum joy will come when we experience what theologians call the beatific vision when we see him face to face Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you've loved me before the foundation of the world. I want to give them ultimate joy so they can see my glory and experience the beatific vision. See, his prayer is not a selfish prayer. It's a selfless prayer. Right? Um, Got to mention Piper, right? John Piper, he, he brings up this illustration. He says, um, why do we pay good money to go to, say, a movie or an athletic event where there are people who are far better than us doing things 
that would put us to shame if we were to try them? Why put up with this being humiliated, watching other people do things better than us? Well, it's only humiliation if you're an utter narcissist. If, if you're sitting there saying, oh boy, that's a better quarterback than I am. I, he's really showing up. No, when somebody does something with excellence, it draws us out of ourself and there's a joy. Right? Now, here's what, what he says. We were made by God to get our deepest joys, not from being superior ourselves, but from enjoying God's superiority. All these other experiences, watching a good quarterback, watching a good movie, listening to beautiful music, all these other experiences are parables. God's superiority is absolute in every way, which means our joy in it may be greater than we could ever imagine. This is some deep stuff. Jesus praying for his own glory. First, through the humiliation of the cross. Secondly, to bring glory to his Father and to bring ultimate joy to you and me. All right? So he prays for his own glory. Here's the second thing he prays for. Our security. Okay? Now, we're going to look at his prayer for our security. But first, we need to, to ask the question, who is the hour in our security? He brings it up at least four times. I want you to see this. He says, Father, since you have given him, referring to Jesus himself, him, authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. He's praying for those whom the Father has given him. John 17, 6. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Who's he going to pray for? Those whom the Father has taken out of the world and given to him. I'm praying for them. I am not praying for the world. So he's not praying for everybody. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Now, if you are a believer, you are included in those whom, uh, those whom the Father has given to the Son because in verse 20 he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And here we are 2,000 years later, and if you are a believer in Jesus, he's praying for you. He's not praying for everybody. He's praying for those whom the Father has specifically given to the Son. And by the way, this is, this is not just a 
concept we find in chapter 17, back in chapter 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. There's a group given to Jesus. They will come to him, and they will not be lost. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And this isn't just a general drawing. It's a specific drawing because he says, and I will raise him up on the last day. You go, this seems like he's, like he's saying there's a group of people that the Father takes out of the world and gives to Jesus. Yeah, that's what it's saying. If you believe Ephesians 2.1, it has to be this way. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Dead people don't come to Jesus. Well, how does anybody come to Jesus? He raises you from the dead and gives you to Jesus. Now, to a large degree, our confidence that we won't be lost, that we will persevere in the faith, that we will have eternal security, to a large degree... It's based on the fact that our salvation is not based on some flimsy decision we made last Tuesday or at camp as a kid, but our security is based on an eternal decision where God chose to give you to Jesus. It's a pretty flimsy thing if it's just, well, we decide one week we're going to follow Jesus. What if three weeks from now you kind of lose interest? What this is, this is bringing us into the internal heart of the Trinity, and they're talking about election of souls. You know, when, when, I, when I blow it, when I'm not feeling that Christian... I can examine myself and beat myself up and say, gee, I wonder if, if I'm really a Christian. Or I can say, you know what? I can base my confidence on the fact that this is not just something I've done. This is something that was decided in eternity past. Salvation is deeper than just how we put on our, our service or preach or do music or the kind of coffee we serve or the way we greet people. I mean, all that's important, but ultimately, do you know if anybody's going to come to Jesus, it's because God has given them to Jesus. And there is security in that. You know, some people say, oh, don't touch, don't touch that election thing. Well, it's kind of hard to avoid when he brings it up four times in one passage. And to not touch on it because it's controversial is to rob God's people of the security that they can have. That their salvation is based on an eternal plan. But now, not only does he talk about God giving 
people to Jesus, he prays, Father, keep them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, he, he prays that, he says, I've kept them. Now, you keep them, but then he says, one person has been lost. Does that mean you can lose your salvation? Well, he's talking about Judas here. Judas is referred to as lost, not because he had it and lost it, he never had salvation. Therefore, Jesus is referring to him as one of the lost. Okay? Lost can mean you had something and lost it, or that you're a lost soul. Judas never was a believer. But what about the rest? I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He's praying for protection. He doesn't take us out of the world. He leaves us in the world. It's going to be tough. But Father, keep them from the evil one, deceiving them and losing their salvation. Now, is Jesus' prayer a wish or a certainty? The Father listens to the Son, and his prayer will be realized. You know, um, when at the Last Supper, this took place just a, a few minutes ago in the timeline, he tells Peter, you're going to deny me. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. He's going to just sift you, and it's going to show how fallible you are, Peter. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I've prayed for you. So, Peter, you know what? I'm telling you that not only will your faith not fail, but you will become strong, and you can write First and Second Peter, and you can go preach, and you can strengthen your brothers, because I've prayed for you. You can be assured that you're not going to lose your salvation. So when Jesus prays for you, and he prays for those whom the Father has given him, that, that we would be protected and kept, it's an effectual prayer. There's a lot of confidence that we gain from knowing Jesus is praying for our security. Let's, let's go on and talk about purity. He prays for our purity in the corrupt world that we're living in. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Okay? I'm, uh, I'm not taking them out of the world. I'm leaving them here for a purpose. 
And I'm going to use my word to set them apart as holy. And they're going to make a difference. And because they're different from the world, the world's going to beat them up. But also some from the world are going to say, I want what they have. So here's a question. Do we reach the world by being like the world or by being different from the world? Now, it's a kind of a trick question because there's a sense in which we are to be able to relate to the world. You know, Paul says, I became all things to all people so that I might reach some. When I'm with Jews, I eat like Jews. When I'm with Gentiles, I eat ham. Why? So I can relate to them. I don't want to let secondary things be a barrier. Food and drink. So there's a degree to which you are to say as a Christian, I don't want to be such an oddball that I can't have a relationship with people. So, of course, you talk about the weather and the Super Bowl and uh, you know, the price of gas and, and, and whatever. Right? You need to learn to be a conversationalist. God has left you here to relate to the world. But when it comes to holiness, when it comes to morality... You don't join in the office gossip. You don't use the Lord's name in vain. You don't so blend in morally that you have no more authority than the potty mouth next to you. Okay? You have been set apart, sanctified, to make a difference for the Lord. You're going to be attacked. You're going to be mocked. But Jesus has prayed for you to stand strong. And in spite of the bruises we're going to get, somebody's going to notice, you know what? They're different. And they'll be drawn to your God. Okay? Now, I know we're going fast. We're going to move on to the fourth one, unity. He prays for our unity. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. He's praying for us. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Evangelism. 101, you get along with one another. You know, I've, I've heard people say, two churches meeting together in the same worship service? Hasn't that led to chaos? No. No. Our unity sends a signal to the world that something, something different is going on here. Now, let me end with two points. Okay? Point number one, be careful not to turn this prayer for unity into 
a gospel-less, doctrine-less, moral, empty, ecumenical mush. Where just because a church calls itself a church, we must unite with those who don't even believe in the scripture, that Scripture is the Bible or Jesus is God. Okay. Spurgeon said this, A chorus of ecumenical voices keeps harping the unity tune. What they're saying is Christians of all doctrinal shades and beliefs must come together in one visible organization, regardless, unite, unite. Such teaching is false, reckless, and dangerous. Truth alone must determine our alignments. Truth comes before unity. Unity without truth is hazardous. Our Lord's Prayer in John 17 must be read in its full context. Look at verse 17. Sanctify them through the, thy truth. Thy word is truth. Only those sanctified through the word can be one in Christ. To teach otherwise is to betray the gospel. So, I mean, you hear it all the time. Why can't we all just get together? Do we even agree on the basics? Well, no, but we could hand out sandwiches together. Well, no, Jesus is what we unify around. Christ and him crucified. Now, having said that, here's what he's really saying. Be careful about causing division in a gospel-proclaiming church over stupid stuff. <laughs> That's what he's saying. All right? Don't divide over petty things. So I found an article, and a guy listed um, a whole bunch of actual arguments that have caused church division. All right? Let me just read some of these. One... They argued over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. I don't think it should be any longer than Jesus' beard. We've all seen pictures, right? Here's one. A church divided over whether or not to install restroom stall dividers in the women's restroom. I can't picture not having dividers. <laughs> hey, Gladys, how are you over there? I mean, I just... <laughs> I guess it costs too much for dividers, right? Um, then there was a church that argued over whether to have a clock in the worship center. And the pastor, I'm sure, was like, no, no, they'll be reminded that I'm going long right now. Okay, one church had a nasty argument over the church budget, which was off by 10 cents. And somebody finally said, here's a dime, and they settled that one, right? Um, how about this one? A dispute in a church, here's a phone, a dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had cran grape juice instead of just grape juice. Right? You, the communion people, you know, back when we used to like have the little, did you ever buy the, the ocean spray cran grape? That could divide a church, right? Business argument over whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not. It took two business meetings to resolve. That fight was really wacky. <laughs> 
Another church fought over Folgers versus Starbucks. We just go mocha, right? Then there was an argument on whether at the church picnic you should serve deviled eggs. You know what the resolution was? As long as you serve angel food cake, you're good, right? <laughs> Another church had a disagreement over whether you should use the, wor the word potluck. <laughs> Some church members left because one church member hid the vacuum cleaner from them. <laughs> and then you'll like this one. One church fought over whether or not to sing happy birthday every week. <laughs> so, in this last point again, if a church doesn't preach Christ and him crucified, let's not have a false ecumenical unity. On the other hand, if we do preach Christ and him crucified, we are united by his blood and we should strive, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, to eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for praying for your glory. And Lord, may we, may we ponder just how awesome seeing you face to face will be we look forward to that day lord thank you for praying for our security that that you and the father and the holy spirit keep us lord you've prayed for our purity that we would be sanctified different than the rest of the world to make, to make an impression on the rest of the world. And then, Lord, you prayed for unity. Lord, I pray that you would just work in all of our hearts. Uh, take away any kind of bitterness or gossip or, or things that do not bring you glory and may the world see a different people. Lord, thank you for going to the cross and now you have ascended to the right hand of the Father where you intercede for us every day. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.